individuals have predispositions to certain diseases, whether it be neurological or otherwise. Um, you know, I've always felt that it's important to make a social impact. And if you can make a social impact with whatever the mission is of your company or your product or your service, then I think the revenue and the success around that would follow. Um, and, you know, I've proven that to myself time and time again. So, you know, if we go back, uh, you know, to, to 2012, I exited a company called Tromega Laboratories. Mm -hmm. And that company was actually about how do we use an individual's hair to look at things like average alcohol consumption? And how could understanding average alcohol consumption make an impact in the lives, in this case, of, you know, um, really courts and, 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 and mm. you know, who are looking to understand whether children should be taken out of care, or in fact, um, driver's license authorities in Germany, where they wanted to work out whether an individual should get their driver's license back because they have or have not had a long-term problem with alcohol consumption. So, you know, in that case, you know, that project and that uh, product made a big difference to people's lives and the mm. success of that followed to an exit in 2012. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Prinkles Twitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper. Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today has dedicated over a quarter of his life in the relentless pursuit of science and technological innovation. A successful serial entrepreneur in the field of genetics, much of his work has been centered around DNA testing with an underlining theme of personalized health through the understanding of genomics. Yet another fascinating conversation on Heads Talk today, but before we get into that, here is a brief message. U.S. private capital forum Go Real 2023 launched now until the end of March, with on-demand sessions offering attendees the utmost flexibility to access industry-specific content and deals on their terms. It will bring together over 100 speakers from across Europe over a broad agenda covering private equity, venture capital, real estate and private debt. For details, visit www.eurosforum.org. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Avi Lazaro is the immediate past CEO of Prenetics EMEA, a leading genetics testing digital health company headquartered in Hong Kong and London with offices in 10 countries globally. Prenetics provided COVID-19 testing for a number of important sectors in the UK, including professional sports, film production and foster care. In 2013, Avi founded DNA Fit, the UK leading wellness genetics company, providing DNA testing for nutrition and fitness purposes. The organization later merged with Prenetics International. With recognition and a plethora of awards for his work, Avi sits on boards and is a member of a number of work-related institutions and groups. During his tenure at the Elm of Prenetics, EMEA, he drew revenue in 2021 to 106 million and built the team to 700 employees, contributing to 53% of the group revenue prior to listing on the NASDAQ in May 2022 at a valuation of $1.2 billion. 
Let's have a conversation now. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Avi to this new series on Heads Talk. Happy to have you here today. Yeah, hi, Lane. Happy to be here. Great. Um, I'm going to get right into this episode because we've got a lot to cover in a fairly short time. Uh, let me start with this. Um, up until last week, you were the CEO of Prenetics. Please tell my listeners about some of your successes there. Yeah, sure. So um, absolutely right. Uh, you know, I was the CEO of Prenetics EMEA, where I have been the CEO uh, since 2018. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it was quite an exciting time because, you know, over the last two, two to three years, uh, certainly with the, um, you know, the, the pandemic, it helped really um, accelerate our mission, which is really to try and help uh, millions of people take control of their health, right? So mm -hmm. at a time when consumers uh, were looking internally to say, hey, you know, how am I feeling? Have I got COVID? Haven't I got COVID? Mm -hmm. You know, is there anything else that's bothering my system? You know, we were there to actually make a difference. And I think that was really important. Um, <clears throat> as you indicated at your introduction, you know, in, in, you know, in 2001, 2021, I beg your pardon, you know, we mm -hmm. generated um, approximately $150 million of revenue here in EMEA, UK specifically, grew the team to 700 people. And really, I mean, that was a, a you know, a massive growth story and really pleased to say mm -hmm. that in doing that, you know, we were really helping get Britain back to work, which was super important. That's excellent. That's that's pretty successful. Um, let's make it broader in terms of talking about your successes. You are a serial entrepreneur. Would you like to share some of your endeavors and successes, um, recent or past? Yeah, sure. So in terms um, of being a serial entrepreneur and showing some of those recent endeavors um, that that I've you know, sort of embarked upon over the number the last you know, sort of you know five ten years, um, you know I've always felt that it's important to make a social impact. And if you can make a social impact with whatever the mission is of your company or your product or your service, then I think the revenue and the success around that would follow. Um, and you know I've proven that to myself time and time again. So you know if we go back uh, you know to to 2012, I exited a company called Tromega Laboratories, mm -hmm. and that company was actually about how do we use an individual's hair to look at things like average alcohol consumption, and how could understanding average alcohol consumption make an impact in the lives in this case of you know um, really courts and 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 mm. you know who are looking to understand whether children should be taken out of care or in fact um, driver's license authorities in Germany where they wanted to work out whether an individual should get their driver's license back because they have or have not had a long term problem with alcohol consumption. So you know in that case you know that project and that uh, product made a big difference to people's lives and the mm. success of that followed to an exit in 2012 uh, you know shortly after that you know being entrepreneurial and not wanting to sit still and always having a fear somewhat that someone else will get to do your idea first um, mm -hmm. you know I, I created DNA Fit and DNA Fit was a company that was all about how do you take somebody's genetics really understand it to a point where you could therefore articulate for them what they should eat and how they should exercise to get the best results Mm -hmm. And no one had ever really done that with a, and created a consumer brand around that successfully. And that's what we did. So again, first market mover, you know, we got that out the gate, myself and my team, and we were able to, um, you know, to take that to some successes. So what does success mean? You know, it, it, really, we won a couple of Queen's Awards, the highest accolade for um, business here in the UK, one for innovation, the other one for export, you know, selling that product globally around the world, helping individuals and athletes and even mm. uh, Olympic associations do the best for their teams and, and in some cases the country to optimize athletic performance um, and that was a great success but as we obviously have now seen uh, you know here in the UK you know where the UK has become a genomic superpower I'd like to use that phrase by what they've done with uh, understanding uh, you know individuals genetics on a population health 
level, um, you know, played very well into that. And I think at the time had become right to actually do more with genetics. And of course, that's where uh, we sold DNA for to the Prenetics group. Mm -hmm. um, DNA testing really runs through the theme in terms of your, your the work that you do. And, and I just wanted to know, um, just wondering, is this personal or an intellectual fascination with DNA? Yeah, I, I, so, you know, firstly, <clears throat> in terms of my own interest in DNA, I mean, I went through a personal situation um, where I looked at genetics for the purpose of my own health. And I think that really opened my own eyes up to what's possible and where the future would be heading as we understand the, the human genome more and more. And mm -hmm. I think what we've seen and what we continue to see moving forward is personalization in all aspects of our life is becoming, you know, it, it's going to become much more mainstream, if I can use that term. Mm. And it just so happens because you know, as a, as a leader of a company that's involved in this space, as you develop successes and learn more, you're able to get people behind you who are researching more around the topic and therefore give give you their confidence to take their products to market or certainly collaborate with them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So in terms of the fascination, I think um, understanding myself and understanding populations, health mm -hmm. and healthcare systems now more, more, more recently, I think, you know, drives my interest on, you know, as I said before, how you can make a social impact. And mm -hmm. I think what we've seen now is sort of on a, on a sort of macroeconomic uh, scale is that, you know, we, we so much used to the concept of, you know, one pill for everybody, but now what we've definitely seen prim primarily through the, a lot of research coming out of the UK Biobank and also globally, of course, is that we move into one pill per person. And I think these are the exciting things that we are moving to such a level of personalization where, um, you know, genetics is going to play a, a, a crucial part of that. And to be involved in that as a leader, a business leader, is really exciting because it means that we can make more of a difference as we learn and do more around the topic. And just quickly, because, you know, in doing my research, I, I saw this. Is it true, for instance, that through DNA testing, I can see if I would enjoy a, a dish, a, a certain meal? Look, I mean, it's certainly uh, what, what you can do through through DNA testing is you can understand how your body responds to certain dishes, responds to certain meals, For for uh, of course. You know, so I'll give you a good example, right? You look at caffeine. So I drink a lot of coffee. Uh, I've always known to have done so. I can drink 10 cups a day. And, you know, when I get to bedtime i sleep very well no problem at all maybe even sometimes i'm working there i can have an espresso in the evening and still mm -hmm. be absolutely fine my wife for example she'll have you know three cups of coffee and she'll start to feel anxious she won't be able to sleep very well and, mm -hmm. you know and that's that's essentially how one's body genetically responds to caffeine so i'm genetically a fast metabolizer to caffeine She's a slow metabolizer to caffeine. And there's research out there that says, hey, you know, uh, I think it was done on 10,000, um, a cohort of 10,000, that if you are a fast metabolizer to caffeine, like myself, and you have more than four cups of coffee a day, it's actually good for your uh, heart health and similarly that if you are slow metabolized and have more than four cups of coffee a day it's bad for heart health for example so that's just an example of how a simple cup of coffee can make a difference mm. to the way your body responds and therefore your health responds and it's not too dissimilar to things like how you might taste food so you get different kinds of tastes which will determine uh you know for example we did a project around um with unilever around marmite you know, you know, there's the whole thing around loving or hating Marmite. And we worked out actually that there's a genetic uh, <laughs> response to how you taste and therefore determining whether or not you might uh, like or not like Marmite, for example. But that, you know, plays into many different foods. And that's why, you know, the whole area of personalization in nutrition is becoming so relevant, but not just nutrition. I think just in all aspects of, you know, what medicines you take, how you exercise to get the best outcomes, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Okay, so what's next for Avi? I mean, what are your current plans, ventures? 
Well, I think I think you know you you've picked up on the theme that I, I love all things genetics, and as South Africa's honorary consul here in the UK and a proud South African, I feel that there's a lot one can do in Africa, particularly. So um, you, you'll be familiar with the fact that drug discovery um, has has now always now needed to take a different form. So what do I mean by that? So in just by way of example, in the US. The FDA, um, you know, beginning of this year, have now put out some some notices, as well as there's a bill that's going to be passed around drug discovery to make sure that when pharma companies are researching drugs and mm-hmm. building, looking for new drug targets, and you know, running clinical trials, that the um, the cohort of individuals those clinical trials are run on actually cover a much more diverse range of people. So what do I mean by that? Typically, a lot of the gene-wide association research mm-hmm. has been done in discoveries has been done on white Europeans. So what that means actually is that drugs that have been built don't have necessarily the same impact on black Africans, you know, for example. And so a good friend of mine, to contextualize that, a good friend of mine uh, from Zimbabwe was doing some research around uh, uh, drugs for um, AIDS. And he found that in Zimbabwe, on a cohort of people in, in his research study, that um, a high percentage who had been given uh, you know, HIV AIDS medication were actually getting psychiatric effects. And then what he did was he then replicated that study in Tanzania and found out that the drugs were, you know, that he was prescribing um, at the time or being prescribed by the World Health Organization or being recommended and supplied by the World Health Organization for prescription um, actually weren't as effective on that target demographic. So, you know, that's just an example of how, you know, in in the world of uh, drugs and drugs discovery, there's a need to make those data sets more diverse. And Mm -hmm. so my goal in terms of what's next for Avi Lazaro and, and the team I work with is working to build a biobank in Africa and grow the most diverse biobank in Africa for serious diseases and diseases alike generally. So we can give this information, work with farmers to get access to make uh, uh, drugs better for all. Mm, that's fascinating, actually. I mean, I didn't even realize you finished because I was actually listening intently to that. That's quite fascinating. Okay, okay. Um, let's talk about the, the aftermath of um, COVID. Um, generally, how has COVID shaped your sector going forward? Yeah, so I think I think um, in terms of how COVID has shaped the sector, if I can just sidestep that question one second and just conclude my my earlier point, I think the big thing about through through what we learned during the pandemic and growing the company so aggressively, you know, it was all around a common mission, which was we needed to do this for society because no one knew what was coming, and it was almost this mission that we had a civic duty to deliver and deliver at speed success. Mm-hmm. To help people's health so the point i'm making there is is um whatever one's company is if your mission and the people behind that mission are so strong i think anything's impossible anything's possible to to achieve um so in terms of the pandemic what have we learned and what has it done to the sector my, my view is that it's accelerated innovation it's accelerated uh the ability governments uh you know public health systems to actually be willing to accept innovation and look at innovative approaches to delivery of you know, solutions, whether it might be health passports, whether mm-hmm. it might be you know, uh, drug trials, getting them to the next stage quicker. You know, it's just that, a much more open mindset. And I think that's starting to play out now, even here in the UK, as the NHS starts to you know, look at innovation to save cost and optimize pathways, you'll start mm-hmm. seeing that all over. And I think that's a real positive out- outcome. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, when you put the question about aftermath of COVID um, and how it's affected a sector, on the other side of the coin, it's a question about tech. How has that progressed your area of work? Yeah, so, I mean, tech, technology is uh, super important, right? So, you know, in, if I talk about um, the 
pandemic itself. I mean, we we built the first health passport that was being mm -hmm. used across the country. So as you indicated, one of our clients was the Premier League. And if you, you know, wind back to, you know, when the pandemic was sort of in full swing and there was sports behind closed doors, mm -hmm. there was a lot of controls around who was going into the stadiums, had different zones, red zone, yellow zones, green mm -hmm. zones. And ultimately, that tech would obviously, you know, take care of everything from when players and uh, um, you know, and, and trainers and managers were getting tested all the way through to the results going to the lab, all the way then through to the next stage of the process was with access controls. So that's just an example of how tech very quickly was built to solve a problem. And what we see now as well is we've seen just in healthcare generally, technology has been now used so much more frequently to solve problems, right? So again, mm -hmm. you know, UK, well-known company, uh, Babylon Health, that's also now a listed company on the NASDAQ, you know, they were doing remote tele-consultations for doctors, which wasn't really adopted that much by the NHS. But mm -hmm. of course, when we're all in the lockdown, yeah. suddenly that tool became the tool to be used in order to see a doctor. And what we now see, you know, post-pandemic is if I want to make an appointment at my local doctor surgery, they would like to do a teleconsult of sort first before they see you. So mm -hmm. it's kind of like it, it's impacted and transformed healthcare faster into what it should be. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, as someone who sits on a on an NHS uh, diagnostics and innovation board, you know, there's a there's a real horizon scanning for any technologies that can take the pressure off frontline, uh, you know, primary care services. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, for example. Another, another, uh, and one of the companies I've been keeping my eye on, and 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 what, what they're doing some passionate stuff, is a company called Testcard. So Testcard, what they've done, they they're using the mobile phone and AI technologies, and you know some technology within to basically do home diagnostics. So one of their core products is uh, you know UTI testing, which is a big problem in the UK. So now they are plugged into you know pharmacies and plugging into consumers and, and and systems, healthcare systems, private healthcare systems to help solve that problem. And you know if you what does that look like in the context of the NHS? Well, you know if if individuals had symptoms as if they had a UTI, you know mm -hmm. you could now take that pressure off the NHS and you could do those tests at home. The result is NHS has less pressure, means that they can hopefully cut backlogs. But the good news is for the patient is that you get your results quicker and you can actually get care quicker. So you know, you've seen innovation impact the healthcare system positively, but you've also seen the patient experience become better as a result. And I think that's just one example, but there'll be many examples like that that we could probably discuss and talk about and share. Yeah. Yeah. Will that start to evolve over the, the coming 12, 24, 36 months? Mm -hmm. I think it was fascinating because um, I want to talk about specifics here because um, as part of my research, Prior to our conversation, I was reading about developments with genomics in neuroscience and some of the research being done there. For instance, I read about um, next generation sequencing and microarrays accelerating neurogenomics research by revealing the, the mechanisms um, behind complex neurological diseases such as Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's and psychiatric disorder. Can you expand on some of the research that you know about with the use of these innovative technologies to address neurological issues? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a, a scientist. I, I'd hate to go into to too much detail, but I mean, you know, if you just look at genetics on a more on a more general basis, what we're starting to see is that you know individuals have predispositions to certain diseases, whether it be neurological or otherwise. And I'll give you an example. So, <clears throat> my wife, for example, has rheumatoid arthritis she was prescribed as a first line defense from the nhs a drug uh selfacilazine i think is the, the, the the drug name and you know for about five to six months after being prescribed the drug 
at a cost to the taxpayer, at a cost to NHS, you know, this wasn't working for her and she wasn't getting the benefit. And in fact, she still continued to get flare-ups, which is, you know, one of the mm-hmm. issues with rheumatoid arthritis. So when she did the DNA test, she found out that that particular drug she has been prescribed by the NHS was not the right drug for her um, you know, genetic code, so to speak. So what did that mean? One, she wasn't getting the care she should have been getting. So mm-hmm. the, you know, her, her issue became bigger because she was getting more and more flare-ups. But two, it was wasted cost, right? Mm-hmm. And when you talk about neurological type diseases, we talk about psych- psychiatric issues, for example, you know, the problem exists even within those areas of, of medicine, if that makes sense, right? So, you know, psychi- uh, you know, pharmacogenomics, which is essentially, you know, getting the right drug for your body, um, you know, you would have that problem, not just for rheumatoid arthritis, but across a number of, you know, uh, I guess, areas of, of health mm-hmm. in, in, you know, in psychological um, space and psychiatry. I think this plays a key role as well. Is the person getting the right drug for mm-hmm. the psychiatric or, you know, or their um, associated condition? And therefore, is it being effective? And I think what we'll see more and more over the years to come is when you go to the doctor, you will get the drug for your specific dna for your condition but like estonia right so estonia have a biobank i spoke about building an africa biobank well in estonia for example when you go you know you get you get tested at birth you do full genome sequencing at birth you know when you get to the doctor you know when you're a bit older when you're 10 11 12 years of age whatever age you have to get to the doctor that doctor really knows exactly what drugs they should prescribe you what would work and what wouldn't and you can imagine if you look at that on a population basis it's going to make sure that people do not get worse when they're sick they actually get the right drug the right mm-hmm. treatment for their condition for, 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 at the immediate time so that's where it's all going and it, it's no surprise that even in the last week uh, you would have seen an article perhaps in the financial times where the uk mm-hmm. have just launched a hundred thousand baby project where they're going to start to sequence the the dna of a hundred thousand babies to yes. understand better you know any early issues to take care of them earlier on within the whole life cycle of their life Right. Okay. A lot of fascinating stuff happening. Um, in an interview, you you talked about UK leading on genomics. The phrase you used was the UK is at the forefront of genomics revolution. Even in our conversation today, you talked about UK being a genomics superpower. Um, based on some of the research that is happening across the globe, especially with the involvement of neuroscience and neurotechnology, is this still the case? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think, I mean, the, the UK, as, as, as indicated, you know, have the 100,000 genome project. They're now increasing that sample size. There's a Health of the Nation, uh, I believe it's Health of the Nation project, which is now looking at integrating what's called phenotype data, which is looking at, you know, measurements, uh, you know, recent measurements of, you know, of of, of data that's not DNA, i.e. medical record information, you know, uh, uh, blood markers and associated markers. So they're going to make that much more comprehensive. And as researchers around the world get access to such a large data set, it helps take the whole, um, you know, the whole field forward, actually. So, yeah, I would still stand behind the fact that the UK is leading in this area and probably will continue to lead for quite some time. Okay, okay. You know, you, you're a fixer. Yeah, if you see something not done well, and you can do something about it, either the DNA testing we talked about, you do. Um, what are you currently seeing that's not been done well? Yeah, apart from that fascinating bit that you talk, talked about in terms of what's going to happen in Africa with the, the biobank, that you'd like to do something about, whether to do it now or later, what are you seeing that, you know, you think something needs to be done here and I'll, I'll probably address it later? 
Oh, you know, there's so, there are so many things that one can do better or they can enhance or they can improve by integrating technology, uh, you know, whether it's, um, you know, new science, whether it's, um, you know, new sectors. But I'll give you an example that comes to mind straight away. So if you look at the fertility sector here in the UK, there's approximately 130 fertility clinics. And the problem, okay, and, and more or less uh, about about um, about 60 or 70 of them are NHS clinics, mm -hmm. the rest of the rest of private clinics that are, are mainly um, are mainly groups, uh, you know, of you know, sort of anywhere between three to ten clinics, and the problem that needs to be fixed there is is there's a there's a concept of star doctor. So what happens is a lot of uh, many individuals when they make a choice to go to a fertility clinic, it's usually star doctor led. So star doctor means I'm a well known uh, clinician who's got a lot of experience in fertility success rates, mm -hmm. and on the basis of that. Uh, many people are coming to me because I'm, you know, in quotes, so good. And what we find is a lot of those clinicians, those, those fertility experts, have built up knowledge over the years that really allows them to, you know, understand, you know, you know, what drugs to give at what part of, and stage of the process. You know, just really how to handle that whole patient pathway, take into consideration all the different variables concerned. So I think there's a real opportunity there to be able to, uh, move away from a star doctor model to actually move to a brand or a brand that becomes associated by using multiple doctors uh, to deliver a great uh, fertility service uh, mm -hmm. could then become a major sort of player and, uh, you know, um, go-to place to get fertility type treatment support and advice. And, and, you know, to do that, I think what you'd have to do is you'd have to almost you know, understand what are all the data points within that whole pathway of going through fertility by way of example, mapping that out and understanding moving forward on how to, whether it's through machine learning or AI or, you know, how to actually, mm. as a brand, make the right decisions in that fertility pathway to get the patient the best result. So, you, you know, you'd see a shift from this star doctor approach to a, a branded approach, which could be quite exciting. That's just one, but of course there's many other examples of things that one could fix. And as mm -hmm. an entrepreneur, you have to just focus mm -hmm. on maybe one or two in my view and focus on those well. I, I wish I had more time with you because then you probably would give me uh, a couple more, but I'm conscious of the time. So finally, um, what would you say is your most proud achievement in the business medical world? I, I think, <laughs> great question so in terms of what what's the the proudest achievement mm. you know during the pandemic we achieved some fantastic successes and it, i believe wholeheartedly that to achieve great success in business you've got to have a great team of people around you and if you hire the wrong people it's a difference between day or night and even in some cases failure or success so i would say that the greatest achievement for me personally as a leader in the last 12 24 months is having the most amazing team around me to help implement the vision which we put out and the strategy into the market and do it well with a very strong uh, mission and purpose. And that was uh, very, very um, important for me. Well, that's good. Avi Lazaro, um, a great contribution to this new series. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you for the opportunity to have the discussion. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals.
podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter.